Well, all this conference realignment talk is certainly throwing everybody for a whirlwind, whirlwind, but it's important to remember this isn't taking place until 2024, and until then, teams still have to recruit and put a product on the field. So how does conference realignment talk affect recruiting in the Pac-12? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up-to-date with the Conference of Champions, you know, as long as it's around, like, comment, subscribe, <laughs> wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now. And I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on terms and conditions apply. And it is all recruiting talk in the Conference of Champions today with my good friend John Garcia Jr., the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated. It's uh, hard to remember sometimes, John, that with all this realignment talk, the normal world of college football still exists out there. Commits are still coming in. There's still timelines. There's still all that sort of stuff. But uh, first and foremost, of course, welcome back to the show. Good to be on with you, buddy. Uh, yeah, it's it's still business as usual. I think as as fans and analysts and uh, people looking from the sidelines or 30,000 feet sometimes, we think this is such big news. It's going to change everything. And, and it will but it takes time, especially when you're trying to resonate with a teenage football player who's just trying to get a scholarship at the end of the day. That's that is the foundation of of what we discussed uh, most frequently. So I do think that still holds plenty of weight, regardless of conference chatter, perception, et cetera. It's easy to forget that as well when you're talking about college sports that uh, you know most of them are not going to play professionally even overseas like well well over ninety percent and a lot of parents you know want their kids to be able to be good at sports so that they can go to college and and get a scholarship and whatnot but it's easy to forget all that and we're going to help people forget that just a little bit and get into our usual recruiting talk here i want to talk big picture because you know usc and ucla are, are leaving i'll ask you about them in, in a second but all this uncertainty with the pac-12 and i've joked about it here on the show because it's a very real possibility not a guarantee a very real possibility that there is no Pac-12 in a few years. So based on what you have been able to see and the people that, that you talk to on the recruiting trail and whatnot, how do you how do you see this impacting recruiting? Is it coming up in conversations? Are coaches getting asked about it and, you know, kind of flat caught flat footed because they don't know everything that, that's going to happen? Like what what's kind of the big picture layout there? I think it's still pretty early, Spencer. I think a lot of uh, kids are aware uh, and there's a certain excitement for the expanded uh, Big Ten coast to coast conference, uh, whatever we're going to call it in the future. And then conversely, in the Pac-12, there's certainly an awareness of uh, keeping your head on a swivel. I'm not sure the right phrase uh, to throw out there, but yeah, there's there's awareness of the mobility and fluidity of this conference and what may be tomorrow. So I think it's out there, um, but but there's really not a whole lot of clarity beyond that. So I, I do see a lot of Pac-12 programs uh, and recruits themselves kind of sticking to 
the primary task, uh, which means these programs are just trying to focus on their logo, their brand, their scheme, what they have to offer individually as a program. And then the kids are just trying to find that great fit, right? With visits, what feels like home, which academic programs align with, with your major or your intended major, things like that. I think it's it's becoming more simplified the more complicated it gets on the outside. Uh, one coach told me, hey, we're just going to sell our brand. That, that's kind of it. You know, we're not going to play the hypothetical. We're not going to play jump in and jump out and and, and negatively recruit. We're, we're just going to sell what we think we do well. Uh, and I think that's probably the right a- approach to take. It's just like when you're recruiting in a, a blue blood battle, um, you know, it's, it's Ohio State, USC and Texas and Georgia. You're not going to bring up those other schools. It's just probably not smart business. So I think programs are approaching it that way, given this realignment. It's just like, hey, let's focus on on us and go from there. And, and kids are are kind of fine with it. There's a very select few that are asking that many questions this early on. But there's there's certainly an awareness underneath all of that, though. Do you think that USC and UCLA will have to deal with the, the potential ramifications or, you know, answer those sorts of questions sooner because they're the schools right now that that are confirmed to to be leaving? And you don't know what the timeline could be on on other schools going to uh, the Big 12 or you know ultimately announcing formally maybe that that they will stay in the Pac-12, do you think it's different at all for those two schools because they, you know, instigated the move and have gone through with it? A little bit. Uh, we're still not getting a whole lot other than general excitement from the USC and UCLA recruits. I've been in touch with several on each side of that coin. It's it's more of a, okay, this is the new circumstance. You know, Malachi Nelson, the USC quarterback commitment was just like, hey, I want to play pro ball and it's cold in the pros. So I'm going to play in the Big Ten and, and go from there. I, I think, again, we, we tend to overanalyze how, how teenagers may react to news like this. It's just a tweaked plan. It's not an overhaul as we see it. And, and, you know, the college football world being upside down, I think we get a little bit more hyperbolic with it. Do you think that for, for, for those schools, USC and UCLA, that the talent pool, they're going to, you know, bring with them out of the PAC 12. Do you think that's going to have a, a big time effect on on the sorts of players, the caliber of players and depth of talent that, you know, a, a potentially existent but not quite as strong Pac-12 or Pac-10 or, I don't know, Pac-14? You never know what's going to happen at this point. Like, if you, you know, when USC and UCLA leave, if the Pac something continues to exist, is it just going to be a much lesser talent pool conference-wide because of the LA recruits, you know, starting to go elsewhere? Yeah, it's hard to to peg that. Look, I think USC has recruited nationally for quite some time. Of course, LA is, is their base. It's one of the best metros in the country for college football talent, and you expect that to continue. I think elsewhere, you could see a lot of change, right? Uh, UCLA is, is more regional, right? They recruit California, they dip into the Pacific Northwest and kind of keep it down south and southwest, right? Uh, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, et cetera. That's that's kind of their footprint. So I think a, a program like that could expand its footprint. Um, but again, as, as that happens, it's a numbers game, right? So the more you're expanding to try to become national, if you're Chip Kelly, the, the least the, the focus is on the hyper-local recruits, maybe those second-tier Southern California players that typically would end up at UCLA are now closer to the bubble 
where, where they could end up either elsewhere in the Big Ten or, or elsewhere in the Pac-12 if UCLA stretches its conventional recruiting footprint. So it really kind of works both ways. I mean, there's enough talent to go around, especially in the state of California. It's still the base for just about every Pac-12 or 10 or 14 team that exists. And, and I don't think that will change, even though the primary schools, at least geographically relative to that metro, are on their way to a new conference. I, I do think it'll change some, but it won't be an overhaul. It, it reminds me of Texas, right? When, when, when Texas A&M jumped into the SEC, there was a thought that, oh my gosh, A&M is going to double down on the in-state talent because now they can sell those three letters as the best conference in the sport. And, and I think you did see a little bit of an uptick, but it wasn't quite the overhaul. Conversely, it opened the door for other SEC programs to recruit the state of Texas a little bit more successfully. But to me, that coincided with the University of Texas not quite being as up as we were used to seeing. It's not quite the same in the Pac-12 because both USC and UCLA have been more up and down lately. So it's not like either has commanded the region as much as perception could suggest. Well, I want to ask John and get his thoughts about what could happen next in the Pac-12, but I want to tell you all this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, and they've got everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, they have it all. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so we talk about it from a recruiting angle uh, of course because you're a recruiting expert that's why we bring you on we might bring you on otherwise but you know having having that recruiting guru title certainly helps the the pedigree a, a touch and you have an array of knowledge that nobody else has but Get out of the the recruiting mode for for just a moment. If you have a non recruiting mode, um, okay, okay, good, good, good. I just just wanted to double check. But uh, looking beyond that, do you think there's a viable future for the Pac-12 to to stay alive? Like, is it enough to add? You know, San Diego State is certainly a name you throw out there. UNLV maybe the Las Vegas market. Las Vegas is a great events town. They haven't been good for a while, but it's a good market. I mean, Boise State's got some pedigree. Like, if you add those sorts of teams, is that a viable path forward? Do you think to you know keeping the Pac-12 as considered a Power Five conference? Again, I'll take it back to the state of Texas. When when the Big Twelve loses Texas and Oklahoma, it doubled down with double the teams. They brought in four programs to uh, offset the, the loss of the two biggest brand names. And I think the Pac-12, these aren't the most recent biggest brand names in the conference. If you look at it from a football standpoint, it's Oregon and Utah or Utah and Oregon, depending on how you want to uh, present it. So I do think it it is a little bit of a different scenario, but I could see the same thing from a numbers perspective. Lose two brands relative to the Metro and bring in four that can compensate and make the conference a little bit more balanced geographically um, and then play into some of the upside, right? With the trends that we've seen just in terms of population in this country. So bringing in a UNLV in particular has to be among the most interesting because now you're talking about not only a great metro area, but a growing metro area that everybody recognizes is 
a pretty darn big deal. That's not slowing down anytime soon. So I think that would be one of the most interesting additions, just like I think UCF in the Big 12 getting into the state of Florida was really clutch and key uh, for, for that conference. In addition, of course, to Cincinnati just being uh, fresh off of the college football playoffs. So it won't quite be to that degree because there's not a, another playoff team that's going to move conferences as, as far as we can tell at, at this point. But when you start to accumulate uh, programs that are known for different things, so the Las Vegas Metro, the Boise uh, consistency and stability, San Diego State, again, Metro geography, population growth, all of that plays into it. And I think there's enough natural football talent in the rest of that Pac-12 footprint, even without these new additions, uh, to truly uh, exhibit great football going forward. I mean, a lot of people have moved uh, towards the state of Arizona. We've talked about that here. The Pacific Northwest is still kind of this untapped market, even Northern California to a degree is, is a region where kids don't necessarily get their due from a recruiting standpoint early in the high school uh, career process. So I do think there's still plenty of areas where we see a lot of talent uh, where, where the Pac-12 will be just fine, even without a USC and UCLA. But there's no doubt that there has to be a counter. I don't want to make it seem like they could just sit sit tight and lose these two giants and be okay. No, there, there needs to be a counter, and it probably needs to be a volume play similar to, to the Big 12 because otherwise – it's it's the Big Ten, it's the SEC, and maybe the Big 12 is the next in position to move towards that super conference model that we keep hearing about, you know, time and time again. It's it's going to happen at some point, it seems like. So everyone's trying to figure out their positioning there. And, and if, if there isn't a counter, I think the Pac-12 and the ACC will be the two conferences in the Power Five that start to look like something lesser. I think San Diego State would be a pretty good option. They've also been very consistent in, in terms of winning in, in the Mountain West. Like if you were going to go with four San Diego State, I think you'd have to want to go to UNLV, who also have great facilities. And it, it's just such a great events town as well. I mean, the Pac-12 is thinking about moving their headquarters there. The championship game is there. That would certainly make a lot of sense. I think Boise's got a reputation. Utah State is capable of being good in in both football and basketball. We've seen that before. Fresno State would be an option. Uh, like there, I I think the volume play is something that I might have to explore, frankly, here on, on the show because I, I, I think it's so. uh, yeah I think it's uh, <laughs> it, it's really interesting. But let, let's turn it back to uh, your, your bread and butter a little bit, and that is recruiting. And one of the biggest names out there uh, on the defensive side of the ball in the class of 2023 is DJ's younger brother Mateo Uyangalule who is uh, considering two Pac-12 schools, Oregon and USC. And uh, Jaden Wayne just left the West Coast. We've talked about the West Coast or the Pac-12 schools. Got to try and keep that big-time talent home. Seems like that relationship with Mario Cristobal and the staff was uh, just really, really good there. So if you can uh, confirm that assumption of mine, by all means, uh, go for it. Uh, and then where where is uh, Mateo at? Yeah, Jaden's first offer was from Mario at Oregon. So, yeah, naturally, uh, two years later uh, to, to take that talent to, to Miami, as they say, was something that was was a real possibility from the moment Cristobal took that job. Still had to go head to head with Bama and LSU and Oregon and some others. Uh, but obviously, Miami was able to do it and they're. Their recruiting momentum is apexing right now. They just got a, another big-time linebacker over Alabama uh, as we before we recorded this uh, on, on Tuesday. So, yeah, 
well with his bread and butter in recruiting. With Mateo Uyangalale, yeah, I think there's a lot more staying power in the Pac-12 with, with Jaden. It was just Oregon, right? Initially, we're like USC, Washington, Oregon is kind of the trio. And then slowly, it just became Oregon. I think with Mateo, I think both USC and Oregon will remain in the mix all the way uh, until the end. Uh, but it's a similar battle in terms of the profile. You got to beat Ohio State. You got to beat Alabama. You might have to beat a Clemson or a Georgia in that conversation as well. So you've got to go legitimately and win a head-to-head battle. And I think, ironically enough, defensively, I think Oregon is just in better position than USC to do so, all things even. We have seen uh, Dan Lanning and that coaching staff go head-to-head and win the biggest non-Arch Manning battle in the country for, for Dante Moore just on Friday. So we, we've already seen that ability to go in and, and win, uh, obviously following up the Josh Connerleys and some of the other big verbal commitments and, and signatures that Lanning's new staff has put together. That said, USC is the local school. This is a St. John Bosco recruit uh, who is incredibly familiar with the Trojan program. It is the one he grew up rooting for. He's got a a, a musical prowess already. Uh, So some of the NIL opportunities in Los Angeles relative to that side of the conversation is is going to appeal uh, to him and his family. His father also has experience in the music industry. That could be a big time advantage for Lincoln Riley and company. But again, defensively, USC hasn't, in this class, won that national battle. And I think that's what's what's going to be intriguing here because it does seem like not only you know, will those uh, Midwest and Southeastern powers continue to recruit Mateo, it looks like his recruitment could stretch out a little bit. So I do think there's going to be some some longstanding um, pitches here to the, the Uyangalalele family. Uh, so I'm curious to see if both Pac-12 programs have that type of staying power, because we know those other programs we talked about have won some very long-standing battles for national blue chip type recruits. If he does change his timeline, probably even better news for, for the possibility of Mateo staying in that Pac-12 footprint. But really, you can start to build a case for at least four of these programs. You know, Clemson, obviously, the brother connection. Ohio State has been extremely strong not only with their their Polynesian connections, believe it or not, but of course, defensive line recruiting. I mean, Larry Johnson is one of the best in the business. The Bosa brothers, Chase Young, Zach Harrison will be a first rounder this year. The list goes on and on. And then, of course, in that Pac-12 footprint, we talked about USC, the childhood favorite, the music situation, the lo- the the local uh, angle as well. And then Oregon has been synonymous with, with the immersion of Polynesian football talent. And that's something that both Mateo and his father have acknowledged with the current coaching staff in Eugene, Tosh Lupoy, some of those assistant coaches that have been there and done that on the West Coast at a very, very high level. So it's it's an intriguing and fascinating recruitment. It's really hard to project a front runner at this stage. Any one of those four has a kind of sneaky good argument to land him. And I think that's part of the reason why it's taken him so long to make a decision. Did you say mu- musical prowess? Like what, what sort of music are we talking about here? What does he do? His, his, he's got a musical moniker. Uh, Young concrete is his producer tag. He produces music, uh, hip hop music. His dad uh, was working for several uh, hip hop acts, I believe in the nineties and early two thousands as a big bodyguard. So there's a legitimate interest and uh, desire to, to further that. Uh, he's not a big social media uh, presence, but 
his father is and and yeah, his father will, will put say. out put out some samples of of music and it's it's quite sophisticated uh there, there's there's some complexities there so mateo's not only a great um football and basketball player but uh, he's got some legitimate engineering background in in his uh musical prowess already as as a high schooler and i know usc i believe there's an affiliation with dr dre to a degree i mean so there's there is a legitimate advantage academically for usc over all the other programs but again it just comes down to what is going to matter the most with him and that's why he's maybe the most fascinating non-quarterback left to make a decision in this entire country with the class of 2023. Well, isn't Snoop, uh, Snoop Dogg or Snoop Lion, whatever his name is, isn't he a big, he's a big USC fan, he's isn't he? A huge USC fan. And yeah. they, he, the Snoop knows the dad. That's, that's confirmed. There's photos. <laughs> there's, there's certainly stories. Yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating. Again, you can really build an argument for a lot of these programs in the mix, but USC is definitely going to factor in when it comes to academics uh, above all else. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, I I can't say I've ever heard of music coming into play in in a recruitment. That is a first. What else is a first is from the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar, but guess what? Your friends at built have given coconut brownie chunk the puffs treatment. That's right. Coconut brownie chunk built bar, the flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in hundred percent real chocolate. It's a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness i want one already and i haven't had dinner as we record this but if i just wanted to have like a really quick dinner a built bar would do it because they're very high in protein low calorie low sugar and all delicious go to built.com use promo code lock 15 get 15 percent off your order that's promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off at built.com Let's move over to Oregon State or up to Oregon State from USC, I guess I, I should say. And a, a couple commitments there for the Beavs, Aiden Childs and uh, Kelsey Howard. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, both pretty highly rated guys. Kelsey uh, a four and Aiden a three star. Uh, Childs a quarterback, Howard a defensive end. Howard, I think, is the more notable of the two. Not that Childs can't become a good player. I think that he he has some good traits in that sense. But I think from a defensive point of view, when you have an offensive head coach, this is just not the sort of player that Oregon State typically is even in the running for, let alone getting to commit. I, I saw this Kelsey Howard thing come down, and it looked like he was – uh, you know, kind of leaning Oregon State all the way that they really sort of had the inside track there. So start with Howard and then we'll, we'll move over to Childs. How did that play out? And, and what do you think that means for Oregon State? Yeah, Oregon State really just latched on here early on. They've got a couple assistant coaches that have ties to, to the southwestern footprint. Again, we just talked about Las Vegas being a booming metro for humans, but also football talent that usually correlates. And, and Howard is a Spring Valley kid coming out of Las Vegas. And, and yeah, there was some USC talk early on. There was some other Pac-12 programs that looked like shoe-ins to stay in this recruitment. But Oregon State, again, was in early, got an official visit early, and he started to wind it down. He just kind of found his fit, which is a really great uh, situation for Jonathan Smith, as you mentioned, despite being known as an offensive guy, helping out to close the deal 
with Howard. And look, he's an inside out defensive lineman. The modern build, you know, 6'3, 6'4, 245 pounds or so. So he on Friday nights can line up inside and do some damage, but really, really his body is built to play on the outside. He's got a great motor. He's incredibly physical at the point of contact. And he's developing a couple of pass rush moves to win with speed and technique on the outside. So there's there's some nice inside out prowess to his game. And that's really what most defensive coordinators want in this day and age. They want somebody who on early downs can play outside, help set the edge and rush the passer. And then on later downs, third and long passing downs, et cetera, move inside and create a more difficult pass rush to contain with a smaller, faster type of, of rusher. And I think Howard not only has that ability today, but he's got a frame at you know six four or so where he can carry another 25 pounds relatively easily. He's still kind of got this baby fat about him. So I think he's got a long way to go from a physical standpoint in, in terms of where his ceiling will be. But the floor is really strong here. Like I said, motor, he's physical, and he's got a little bit of polish to his pass rush already, despite having a long way to go from a stature standpoint. So like you said, a really strong get and probably the class headliner to date for the, the Beavers. And then with Aiden Childs, the quarterback out of Downey getting into California, obviously a must uh, for the Beavers, just just the second Californian on the list. But this is a quarterback, and he's a big quarterback, 6'4", uh, 200 pounds or so, uh, really more of a pocket passer with a big arm. I, I do think he's a little bit raw in his mechanics. He's got to gather a little bit to get a little more mustard on, on the football, uh, but he, he can deliver it there. The arm strength is there. He's got a vertical and third level ability uh, that just kind of feels like it belongs in the Pac-12. And then to counter it, he's got some wiggle. He's, he's a good athlete. He can run to a degree. I don't think you're going to design a bunch of QB powers for him. But as he gets a little bit bigger at the next level, I think he's going to be able to help you not only in short yardage with that big frame, but uh, with some improv and, and some scrambling ability on the outside um, with his ability to throw down the field as well as, as use his legs uh, to move the chains and such. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but Aiden Childs is a really nice get. He's kind of an emerging talent in what has become a truly elite and deep quarterback class. So a lot of these second and third tier power five programs are really trying to end their quarterback recruitment right now because some of the bigger programs are missing on their top guys. So they're starting to filter down, trying to flip some of these uh, guys that are committed to other schools. So it's important for the Oregon states of the world to lock in quarterbacks in particular. So getting Childs at this time was also quite timely. A couple of good gets for the bees and always a great get for us to have on John Garcia, Jr., the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated. We will talk to you next week, as always, when I'll be doing a little bit more regular content. It won't be on the road quite as much for a couple of weeks and we'll get back to uh, hopefully a, a consistent daily show. And John will be on once a week. Thanks, John. Thank you, Spencer. I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.